even when it gets to mental health, we dissect it so much instead of working on the problem of, but should I use the word committed suicide or taken their life by suicide? Who fucking cares? Somebody fucking killed themselves. Somebody's dead. Someone's dad's not here. Someone's Who fucking cares what words you use? How about this? What led up to it? What could we have done different? Shit, I feel like we all try to force helping someone, not force in a, from a bad place, but we want to help people. And sometimes that force, I, I wonder if it's doing more harm than good sometimes. So at the end of the day, I feel like whether it's addiction, struggle, trauma, loss, I think people have to decide for themselves. And I hope that something that we're doing, and I know you're reaching a lot of people, will make that difference, whether it's one or a thousand people. So um, I, once again, I just want to thank you for being on here. And, you know, I, I know this is a, a new relationship, but uh, I, I was able to take a peek at what you're doing and it's pretty cool. So for anyone that is listening and not familiar with Eric, Eric, I would love if you just kind of tell everyone what you're doing now and then we'll kind of break into your story of what you're up to. Um, went on to social media and decided I wanted to make a difference. And so I started just a platform, pretty much just sharing my story, sharing some hacks that I've had through therapy, through everything and ended up growing a little bit of a following off of it, um, almost two million on TikTok, but just based off of uh, a whole premise of you know not being alone and feeling that you can just relate to somebody, you know, because we're all going through our own little struggles, we're all going through our struggles in our heads. We feel that we're alone, we feel that we're broken, we're damaged. Nobody understands us, and the whole thing was not to necessarily save anybody's life, but maybe ignite something in them that they go, dude, if that guy can do it, I can do it. You know, and I'll stay a little bit longer. Right. I love that. And so your focus is mainly, you know, mental health and addiction. I think you have on your, your title of your social media. Yep. I started all this because of addiction. I lost my wife to suicide. I lost my dad to suicide and I had gotten sober three weeks into my, right before my dad committed suicide. And so I went through his, his funeral, the, the grieving, all that sober. And I realized like six months in, like I need a hobby, like I need to do something, but I wanted it to be a passion it wasn't like, okay, I want to go to the gym and that's going to be my new hobby or, you know, I'm going to take up gardening. I wanted to do something where I actually felt like, like I, I was drawn to it with my heart. And I'm like, dude, I want to do this. I slowly was like, you know what? I'm not comfortable sharing about my mental health. Um, it took me a long time to slowly open up, but I was like, I'm more than open about addiction. And so I started a, a LLC. I was like, okay, I want to make this into a business. It was all just like a little fun hobby project. I started everything literally on Twitter because I knew nobody on Twitter. Um, I don't even do Twitter anymore. And it kind of grew from there. And then it went to, okay, I want to do YouTube too. I want to do, and it just kind of grew into something I never expected it to. And so your story about, you know, I think we're going to get into everything, but let me clarify. So you said you lost your husband, your husband, sorry, your wife and your father, correct? Yep. And you said you we're grieving your father sober. So when, when you lost your, was your wife, did she pass before your father? Yep. Um, my wife committed suicide in 2015. We were separated at the time. We were both raging alcoholics. My drug of choice was cocaine. Hers was Xanax. We ended up separating because I was like, I knew that we would kill each other just by using. So we separated. She ended up committing suicide in August 27th, 2015, uh, my dad actually helped me through the whole grieving process, all of that stuff with her. 
And then two years later, August 13th, my dad committed suicide. I was at ends of the spectrum. I mean, I'm, I'm successful in what I do. It provides a good living and all that. Grew over a very successful family. My wife was a high school dropout, got her GED, uh, kind of stay-at-home wife. She could do whatever she wanted to do because we had the money to do it. My dad, on the opposite end, extremely successful doctor in Michigan, had his own practice. I mean, just two opposite ends of the spectrum. Both of them took their life. You know, one had all the money in the world. One, you know, grew up, you know, in poverty. Um, one had, you know, a phenomenal education. One had no education. You know, it was, it was so opposite ends that you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. That's, it really is two sides of the story. So you kind of saw it both. I think was your, was your father, I mean, I guess one is suicide, not a surprise, but I, I want to kind of ask you the difference between the two. Cause when you mentioned your father, you specifically mentioned you did it sober. So what, what was the experience like mourning the loss of your wife, you know, while, while on what you were on? My big thing was, is my drugs of choice. I, I was a raging alcoholic. I would drink two to three fifths of vodka a day and I would do one to two, eight balls of Coke a day. I never really grieved my wife's, you know, I just, I could numb it. Anytime that it started to hurt, I could numb it. With my dad's, I couldn't numb it at all. And so I kind of had to re-grieve her suicide and his suicide at the same time. And it was a process. And, and I found certain things that ended up helping me a lot. Because in, in 2018, even when I started all this, if I had already started on social media, in 2018, I attempted suicide. And it was like, dude, what, what's going on? Like, how, how, do you, how do you get to that place mentally where you're just all alone in your head that the, that's the best way out. Everyone's going to be happier without me. I'm not anyone's burden. Um, they get to live their life. You know, they're going to get over it. And you justify it so much into your head that everybody is better off and you feel you're doing everyone a favor. Like you literally feel, okay, this is all going to stop. All this pain's going to stop. And I'm doing everyone a favor. And you get so blinded by that and you romance it so much in your head and even having that experience helped me understand their experience a lot more and really come to terms with it all and and heal through it all. When you said you, you felt like you were a burden, was that were there just more voices coming to your head at the time? Or did you truly feel leading up to that, that you felt you were a burden on people? Oh, truly. I mean, you start to, to believe that self-talk of that you're a burden, that people are better off without you, that nobody really does want to help you, that you know, you're exhausting other people that, you know, they don't understand what you're going through. Um, it's not worth the energy to understand what they're, you know, to try and have them understand what you're going through because they have their own lives to live. Their lives are more important than your life is. So much goes through your head. It's so much self-talk that you eventually sell yourself on this is the best idea ever. And then you start to find almost this peace and calmness with it because it's like, hey, all this hurting is going to stop and everyone's life is literally going to be better. And you firmly believe that. It relates to what some of the posts I've seen you watch. And it seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you do have a, and it's fantastic, you have a, an emphasis on affirming that the audience you're speaking to, you know, you are, you do have something to offer and you are perhaps more important than you may think. So how did you flip that in the moment where obviously you're still here talking to me, thank God, what, there was, some, was there some sort of transition? Uh, the only thing that saved my life was frozen vodka. Frozen vodka. Yeah, because vodka doesn't freeze. Okay. <laughs> That's literally the only reason that, that I'm here still. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. I was going to hang myself. I had it all set up in my garage. I weight tested it. I had bleach and a scrub brush out there because I knew when people hang themselves, you naturally tear at your your where the rope is. So I was figuring, you know, I'm probably going to pull chunks of my throat out. I had a tarp laid out. 
had just, I mean, I'm dialed in all my notes laid out and part, I'm very systematic. And so part of it was I knew I had a fifth of vodka in the fridge, like a half fifth or something like that, uh, from a party we had months earlier. And, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to relapse on that. That'll numb me. That'll just give me that extra little boost that I need. And we're good to go. And when I opened up the fridge to do it, the vodka was frozen because my ex-wife at the time was afraid I would relapse and had poured it out and put water in it and put it back in the fridge. And I was so pissed at her because it was frozen. I was like, you thought I was going to relapse? Like, what the? And I got so fixated on being angry at her that I finally stopped. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is messed up. Something's not right here. And as soon as that thought process started hitting, I called my mom, called my wife, and I'm just like, something's not right. And immediately got back into therapy, got on the medication, started dissecting what, what was wrong, what, what's leading me up to this, and started working forward. That is unbelievable. I think mm-hmm. we have a name of a podcast right now. It might be Frozen Vodka, by the way. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, dude, I mean, I know I don't know you very well, but uh, I'm thankful that you you know, you had that epiphany because I feel like there's so many, I mean, you probably know better than anyone. Uh, a lot of, some people that end up going through it, they don't have that epiphany. They don't have something that kind of stops them from making the realization that's going to take them off this planet. So do you have an underlying message of getting, trying to get to through people? I know before we started, you kind of said, you know, you can't, you can only do so much, but for people that are hopefully not waiting for an epiphany moment to not take their life, is there any guidance you would give them? I know it's kind of hard to kind of pigeonhole it to one message, but. It, but the biggest thing is it's, it's be real. Life is full of trial and error and don't give up. You know, that's the hardest thing is you can't attack mental illness one dimensional. It's not, you know, you, you it, part of us, just like even a, an addict, you have to take responsibility for, it. I don't own guns. There's a reason I don't own guns. If I have a gun and I'm depressed enough, even sober, I know how easy it is just to grab that, pull the trigger, and I'm done. So, okay, you know, it's part of me responsible to protect myself. You know, you, you might go to a therapist and you had a bad experience at a therapist. Well, you know, that's one out of how many therapists. There are bad therapists. There's good therapists. You know, some medications work. Some medications don't work. You can't be afraid of it. You know, the, the hardest part is I think we've all, even when it comes to like social media, we've all lost that ability to communicate and, and truly communicate our feelings because we have such a warped sense of reality that everyone's life is perfect on social media because that's the dominant form of communication now that everyone's life is perfect. Mine's not. So no one's going to understand me. And it was like, man, I don't want to necessarily be like Debbie Downer, but let me call it how it is. You know, people ask me, you know, how, how did you cure your depression? I didn't. My depression's still there. I have bad days too. Uh, my anxiety's still there. But we're not real about that stuff. And people get afraid to be real about it because if they share their story, they're like, you know, people are going to think I'm attention seeking. People are going to, you know, look at me and just tell me to smile or, or will look at me and say, well, look how good your life is. Yeah, look how good Chester Bennington's life was. You know, look how good all these other people's lives were. And they did it too. It's, it's a chemical imbalance. There, there's multiple reasons behind it. And taking ownership of our life and, and not living in that fear and not living in that, that bubble that everyone's life is perfect and mine's the only one that's not, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing that I urge now. I mean, at one point I used to give up my phone number every single day and it turned into something I wasn't prepared for. I did for two and a half years and I had days where I'd have 25 to 30,000 text messages. 
And I'm going, oh yeah, that's not back and forth. That's just new text messages. An iPhone at 10,000 messages doesn't even show you how many messages you have. It goes to three dots. And it's ridiculous. And it was like, okay, that, that alone became its own beast. Because you're not going to save everyone. That's the problem is, is, you know, we get on this motivational kick and we're going to change everyone's mind. We're going to fix everybody. You ain't going to fix no one. You might have somebody wake up and realize that they should stay another day, but that's about it. So it's our own responsibility to go tell a friend that we're struggling or go find a therapist or remember to take our meds. You know, we, we have to take some ownership of that and realize that it's worth it. So accountability. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I mean accountability goes across the spectrum in regards to regardless of what anyone's going through. And I think that's uh that's even harder today when you're mentioning what what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you know, I think comparison is the thief of joy to say lightly hearted. So when you're comparing your life, saying, you know, you're mentioning how other people are looking good, this and that, comparing is a dangerous thing to do. And in this day and age with social media, and as great as social media is, and the way you're leveraging it, which is phenomenal. It is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place for especially people in a, in a specific state of mind that may be more vulnerable to doing something like that. So it's like, you can't, you're right. Like you can't help everyone and it's hard to even help one person. And it, there comes a point where it's, how do you, do you, do you just accept that? The fact that, you know, especially with someone, your mission, you know, you are reaching a lot of people and I'm sure you're helping a lot of people and it's just kind of part of the deal that you're not going to be able to help everyone. So is that, does that strain on you at all, even though you're doing such a great job? No, the, the only thing that ever strained on me is when people were like, oh, you saved my life. And it's like, dude, I didn't save your life. I didn't save anybody's life, you know. You saved your life. Yeah, yeah, I said something that maybe ignited something in your heart or something in your brain or maybe made you think, well, let me try this or maybe let me do this. That's all I did. I didn't, I didn't cure you. I didn't save you. Nobody's going to save you. And that's, you know, we all want that magic pill that we can take that magic pill and it all gets better and it, it doesn't work that way. You know, even when people ask, you know, how did you, you know, a lot of people will reach out because they've lost spouses or, or, or kids. I get a lot of kids. Parents will reach out, you know, lost their kid to suicide, uh, lost their spouse, lost their parents and stuff. And it's like the easiest thing I tell them is I'm like, you know, in life, do you like people telling you what to do? Do you like people not respecting your choices? And everyone would be like, no, I'd be like, yeah. So if you wanted to shave your head and you put it up on social media, hey, I'm shaving my head. You already know in your head if you're going to do it or not. And you're going to get all these responses back. And you don't justify anybody else's responses. You're going to go do what you want to do because you already have it in your heart. Maybe you're looking for that little push. And people will not agree with your decision. But it's your decision. You're happy with your decision. That's the way that I grieve through my, my dad and I grieve through my wife. I have to respect their decision. They took their life. I respect their decision. I don't agree with their decision by any means. But at a certain point, I have to respect their decision. I have to respect where they were mentally there's nothing I could do to change that. Hindsight's twenty twenty, And even go us, it's up to us to find that joy in life. It's up to us to stay a little bit longer. It's up to us to realize that it does get better. And when it gets better, it's probably going to get shitty again. But we live for the good times, not the bad times. How much of your grieving process was helped by your father from your wife? I know you said he, he, you said he helped you get through that. And that kind of a twist that he helped you get through a suicide, then he ended up you know committing suicide himself is a kind of a fucking hell of a little storyline there. So I wanted to ask you in regards to what is that? Do you think about that? I do think about it. I think about it a, a decent amount because it was my dad who, who was the one that really made me understand that, you know, it is, it was her decision. You know, she was the one that was in pain, the pain. It's a pain that you can't take away. You can't fix it, you know? And that was what she saw as kind of that ultimate solution, you know, and, and reading my wife's suicide notes, 
it made sense. You know, she, she felt like a burden. She truly felt, and no matter what, like, yeah, she could have called me the day before and said, Hey, I'm going to kill myself. And I'm not, I'm not fucking playing. I'm there. I would have drove out immediately, dropped everything immediately and drove out there to be with her. But she didn't because you feel like, you know, she felt like she was a burden to everybody. She felt like literally everyone's life was better off down to the point that she had how she wanted to be cremated. Because, I mean, in her suicide note, she's leaving how it's cheaper that way. She didn't want to be a financial burden on anyone. She didn't want to be like any of this. And I'm just like, geez. And, you know, that was where she was at mentally. And I there's nothing I could have done to change it. You know, when my dad took his life, there was no suicide notes. There was no anything. They found him in his car bled out. And it was like, you know what? That was his choice, though, too. He was in that much pain. He didn't want anyone to know. And I understood where he came from doing it because my dad was a real successful doctor. But unfortunately, you know, mental illness has come in so many different forms. One of his biggest ones is he identified as a doctor. That's who he was. He was nothing more, he felt, in life than a doctor. Not a dad, not a grandpa. Not any of that. It might have been a little bit of speckles, but he was a doctor and he's going to retire and he's going to lose his identity. He's lost himself. I mean, no one wants to lose themselves. So I get where he came from. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those that you, you look back and I just I mean, I have a morbid, morbid sense of humor and you have to because it's a healthy coping mechanism. And it's like, dude, I get where he came from. I, I get it. Like, I, I, I have no anger towards him. I mean, you go through the phases of grief where it is anger, it is loss. You know, you're, you're negotiating with yourself and bargaining with yourself. Like, if I could have did this, if I could have, would have, should have. And none of that would have changed the outcome. It's up to them to change the outcome. And it all comes back to acceptance, I guess. The fact that you're so matter-of-fact about it, you know, I feel like there's a there's got to be a lingering effect. And you said yourself, you went through the process. So... What was that process in regards to like, was there a time, like, when did you start being, if you even remember, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to pinpoint, but what was the hardest part besides like the fact of losing your dad, of course, and I'm sure, but was there the hard, one specific obstacle that you had to feel like you had to get over emotionally? Not as much with him as it was with my wife, because with her, there was all those what ifs, like, man, maybe we shouldn't have separated, you know, you're, you're beating, you're beating yourself up for the past. You're beating yourself up for all the decisions you, you made. Um, you're beating yourself up because man, I should have taken her to one more therapy appointment. I, I should have did the, that one was hard. That was, that was the hardest thing I went with through with hers was really that if I could have, would have, it wasn't a question of like, why did they do it? Because it made sense in my head, especially after I attempted to take my life. It, like it all made sense. I'm like, I get where they were. Like I've been there. I get it. Like you want it to stop and you get thrilled and so much peace and, and joy from this fact of thinking it's all going to stop. And you literally put blinders on and don't realize truly how it's going to affect people. I mean, it fucks people up. I know people that have lost, you know, somebody from suicide 20 years ago, and they're still fucking going through it. In a sense, it's so, somewhat selfish, but it's not selfish on purpose. They're literally doing it because they think it's the best for everyone, even though it's a selfish, you know, they're, they're doing something that they're not allowing, you know, input from anybody else. And you really just kind of come to terms with that. And you're like, dude, I can't change it. You know, maybe what, what can I do to make the most benefit out of it? Not to actually maybe help somebody else. Yeah. It kind of seems like your own thesis. Cause it's kind of ironic to me that, you know, you're saying you, you do lean on the fact that you can't change it and there's only so much you can do, but at the same time, it seems like what your mission is to attempt to change it. And my mission is more or less my attempt to just know that all I can do is all I can do. And all I can do is going to be good enough. You know what I mean? 
it's that whole, you know, I can give somebody all the tools in the world. I can't make them take their medicine, you know, all that. But if I remind you, Hey, at least I did all I can do. Like, I don't, I don't control and affect your life. And that became the thing of like, I formed a huge passion in just reminding people that they matter just because sometimes I even needed those affirmations of just, you know what? I am beautiful. I am smart. You know what? I got this today uh, to help me get through all my bad days. And it was in a way, even a, how I, I ended up grieving too. And, and, and helped me get through it was just not taking it on wholeheartedly as I'm going to save the world, but as in, you know what, if I can just remind somebody that they matter, maybe they stay one more day, you know, a kid gets a, a one more day with their dad, you know, a, a wife gets one more day with her husband, you know, a boyfriend gets one more day with his girlfriend. You know what? Those memories are priceless. So you're saying the the work that you're doing in some way helps you at the same time? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. It did. In the beginning, it did. It, it, it ended up doing kind of a reverse role where it actually screwed with my mental health more than anything I ever, ever could have. How so? When you have 25,000 some odd people a day hitting you up. Yeah. Funny. And you're hearing, yeah. you know, and it's, it's sad because you start to see the whole spectrum of, I mean, I was 30, I'm 41 now. So I was like 38, 37 when I started all this. And I was, you know, at 38, you don't think you're going to have some 12 year old fucking texting you. You know, I'm thinking addict adults, you know, relate to adults. When I was 17, I'm not going to talk to an adult. You ain't fucking cool. I had everyone message me. And then it became so much where, you know, I have these kids who are sending me pictures of them slicing their arms up to, you know, a kid messaging me that he's going to kill himself because he got grounded from his PlayStation 4 for a week and his parents are horrible, evil people to a mom messaging me going, I'm smoking meth in the house with my newborn baby to a, you know, a guy messaging me telling me how he walked in on his daughter who overdosed and died on the bathroom floor from fentanyl to, I mean, you're getting, and you're just like, what the fuck, dude? Are you seeing consistencies? I was just like, I know you're saying it's all across the map, but is there anything that you've learned over the years regarding the trajectory of mental health right now? Or if there's any been any kind of catalyst that's causing this or that, or just in general, any kind of patterns or anything you've noticed over the last decade? Nobody talks to their fucking spouse or their family. And that's really what it, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's really what it is. I mean, I have, anytime I have a kid who'd message me, I'd be like, dude, have you talked to your parents? No. Well, you probably should talk to your parents. You know, I'd have these, these husbands that message, have you talked to your wife? No. Why not? You know, why don't why don't we communicate at all? Like, dude, seriously, what you just go and pretend that everything's okay? Like, no shit, things aren't okay. Then, do you think that relates to the uh, you know the consistency of the reason? May some people might want to kill themselves because they feel like they're a burden. You said mm-hmm. right. So, do you think there's any correlation between them feeling like they're going to be a burden to their family, to their spouse, by bringing this up? Oh yeah, they're going to be a burden. They're not going to understand. They feel like they're going to judge them. They're going to think that they're weak. They're not going to believe them. What else have I gotten? They're doing it for attention. Sometimes I've, I've also gotten a lot of people who will be like, you know, if I try to talk to them, they'll flip it around on them, that it's them. And it's so much of the, these communication breakdowns that nobody asks for help anymore. They don't even know how to ask for help. And then you that's why it's so hard because you look back and hindsight's 2020 because you actually slow down and pick up these little pieces and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, those three songs that she did send me were all about suicide. You know, and she did say, you know, um, pick up the phone with the Yuma County Sheriff's Department calls you probably means that they found her body. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, but at the time you're not registering it in that, that effect or in that sense. 
Yeah, you said it. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But it's those moments that'll fuck you through the most. Like you said, there's people that are dealing with it two decades later. It's just those moments you can kind of you keep recollecting. I thought it was so interesting that you said because uh, I have heard people that I've had on the podcast before that have you know related to suicide talking about how suicide's a selfish act. But then you flip the script and talking about the person that may commit suicide was doing it to be unselfish because they had their in their mind that they're the burden, as we said multiple times. So it's just those two opposite sides of the spectrum that it's, it it makes it even it makes it way more complicated. Yeah, because I mean that, that's the thing. Like, and that's that's even where the focus gets is. I, I that's why even when it comes to a lot of the mental health stuff, like I've I've backed off like with the phone number and some of the stuff that I wanted to do, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go change it up a little bit more of just continually just sharing my story and, and so forth. Because even when it gets to mental health, we dissect it so much instead of working on the problem of, well, should I use the word committed suicide or taken their life by suicide? Who fucking cares? Somebody fucking killed themselves. Somebody's dead. Someone's dad's not here. Someone's who fucking cares what words you use? How about this? What led up to it? Or what could we have done different? Well, if you use the, you know, it, it's like we're afraid of fi- offending the dead in a sense almost, instead of just acknowledging the fact that, yep, they're dead. What can we do to make a difference to this? This is one of the, t- t- um, what is it? Every 40 seconds, somebody commits suicide. Tenth leading cause of death in the United States. It's something that's preventable, but instead of focusing on how do we prevent it, we, we focus on not offending people. And then the realness of life is faded. And then it just becomes like social media and everyone's smiley faces again. You know, oh, it's Suicide Awareness Month. I'm going to post the suicide hotline. Call the suicide hotline. How many people out there have ever called it? You're put on hold, essentially, when you call. It's not like calling 911. It's not calling 911 and the operator immediately picks up. Thank you for calling the suicide hotline. I'm glad that you're still here. What's going on? You let this out right now. You matter. No, you know, press one for English, two for Spanish. And you're going, and if you hang up the phone, there's no safety check. There's no police coming over to your house to say, hey, this, this number, this area, just dial 911 or dial the suicide hotline. Let's see if they're still alive. Let's see. Maybe we can catch them when we can still save their life. No, but I did my part. I sent out the hotline number. Yay, I can go sleep at night because look at me doing a difference. I'm going to actually do something about it, address what the real problems are. Your breath of fresh air, because I think what you're kind of alluding to, I think, is an overall encompassing big ass umbrella about what we're going through right now. It's all semantics, there's so much posturing, just showing that we're doing the right thing when I feel like it's just a band aid on the issue. And what you said that's really ringing in my head right now is. That it's just, you're focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on the little thing in the corner as opposed to what's actually the cause and like digging deep enough to find out what's causing this. So, I mean, I don't have the answer. I don't know if you do either, but I think that in itself is the answer. You have to figure out a lot from there, but it's always, what can I do now to relieve this? Like take this Tylenol, but okay, what what is mm-hmm. causing the headache, quote unquote? You know what I mean? So I think I think the the priorities are so mixed, and this is even just outside the talk of suicide. I think in a lot of the way we handle problems. So I don't know what you think about that, but I thought that was just a perfect point. No, I mean it is. I just I think it's just how we are as a society. I mean I hate to say it, I, if you look at suicide rates and why are they going up and why are they going up, I'm a firm believer that so much of it is truly tied to social media. I think social media is a phenomenal tool, but I mean. Me growing up, I wasn't. I didn't care what my likes, how many likes I got on something. I didn't care what anybody else was doing. I didn't know what anybody else was doing. I went out and and I I would ride my bike. You know, I would hang out with my friends instead of 
I'm on my Xbox. I'm on my, my thing. I'm playing Call of Duty. I'm in my room nonstop. I'm not getting any sun. I'm not talking to my parents. I'm not talking to my family. This is zoned out elsewhere. Yeah. And, and I think we become numb to life and, and you start watching. And it's like, man, every year it's records this and record this and record this. Nobody talks about it in school. You know, we're not taught as, as kids that, hey, it's okay to talk about this stuff. And I think we've gotten such a thing that we want to protect our youth and protect our kids and shelter our kids and, and make them a better life that we've made them a worse life. Because that's the thing is, every, I mean, that's the one thing that grew my platform is everyone's like, well, you're so real about it. And I'm like, yeah, why not? That's what I'm saying. You're a breath of fresh air. You just, you remind me a lot of my own friends back east. It's just like, you could say it and it might sound raw. And a lot of people, I must say, I'm perfect with this. Obviously, sometimes someone says something, it's like an innate natural reaction. I'm like, oh shit, that was harsh. But it's not harsh. It's just calling it what it is. And I think there's been a shift perhaps, or maybe it's always been there. I don't know, but I don't know it's like 33 years or so, but there is a, a sense of you have to beat around the bush and be careful of what you say. You're trying to make the same point, but you got to like, someone's, you got to like dance around it and say it a certain way as opposed to hurting their feelings. And it's like the, everyone's put on a priority of feelings first, as opposed to their life more or less. Right. And, and I'm sorry, but everybody's feelings around me doesn't save my life. I save my life by how I truly, you know, feel and, and respecting my opinion and, and respect other people's opinion. I mean, we get, it's just such a, a chicken shit world sometimes where, you know, I, I, that, that's where I don't even care about my follower count and stuff. And I'll do stuff that will piss people off. And I don't mean to, it's like, dude, this is me. You know, I can break it down. I mean, it seems like every, every year there's some new fad that you have to kind of, you're either supported or you don't. If you don't support it, you're a horrible human being. Like the whole pronoun thing. I don't fucking understand it. I don't, I don't care. But then I would have these, these literally these kids who are like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to commit suicide or I'm running away or I'm depressed because my parents don't use my pronouns. And I'm like, dude, did you change it again last week? Cause half of you change it nonstop. And they're your parents, man. Just love them for who they are. Cause they love you. Don't don't find another reason not to like them because you think what it's cool. Like what did you do? You just put yourself into another box, into another box, and into another box. So when no one's around you, you're right, you're alone. And it wasn't that anyone left you. You pushed them all away. But of course, there are the other cases where you know. Obviously, I think people have parents that are that are not loving them. You know what I mean? That have the other side of the spectrum, and then they might truly, really feel alone for a damn good reason. So yeah. You know, then there's that side of the spectrum. And, and it's hard because then that side of the spectrum doesn't get the voice that they need because you have the other voices in there. You know, just like with self-harm, you know, there, there's so many schools have issues with self-harm where kids think it's cool. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why, why is that like, why is this a trending thing I'm seeing on TikTok? I, I don't see it. I more hear it from people talking and occasionally it pops up. But it seems like it's just push. it's pushing the movement even more, alluding to why you're saying social media is bad. But this is like... The shit I'm hearing is horrible. Like there's there's trends with like cutting themselves. Is yeah. that true? Oh yeah. How does that start? What? How the hell does that even start? I don't. I, I don't. I don't know because I mean poison. It is and self harm is like I struggle with self harm. I'm open about it. Like I have scars on my arms still from it, and it was because I felt numb because I had to feel something that it was a form of punishment even to myself that it fulfilled a dopamine rush. It gave me a feeling, especially when I felt extremely numb. 
I mean, there was, there's mentally fucked up sides to it that we're struggling with to find solutions to work through, to talk about, to find coping for, then address the problem to where you have some of these people though, that are doing it just for fun. So instantly people go to the lesser of the two evils and, Oh, if you're doing it, you're doing it for attention. And so the kids that, and even adults, I run into a lot of adults that still do it. Um, don't share about it or talk about it because they don't, they're not doing it for attention. They're doing it as truly coping for something a lot fucking deeper than that. And they don't know how to get, get any help for it or even to bring it up because there's all these people doing it for attention. It's a whole other rabbit hole, but the amount of censorship we're here, we're having and then stuff like that just runs rampant. I don't really understand. Oh, no, the, cen- the censorship side um, is, yeah. That's a, whole, yeah. that's a whole other conversation, but that's, whole other, <laughs> that's the next podcast. We can get into that, but that's a whole other shit I don't even want to get into right now. Oh, how are you? Like, I, it seems like you're in a position where you're constantly, you know, doing your thing with, you know, the, the, the foresight of hopefully reaching, helping one person for one more day, wherever you put it. But is anyone ask, like, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a feeling, even if you weren't good, I feel like you're good. You know what I mean? Right. No, it's, <laughs> and, and that was the thing. Like I found a lot of balance, you know, my girlfriend plays a big role in my life. My, my personal life plays a very big role into it. Just finding balance, finding peace, finding fun, uh, finding adventures. The other thing that plays a big role into it is you know, I have a great job. I love my work, you know, I live for a lot of other things in social media. And that's, that's the part that I don't think people realize It's like, I've, I've become so numb to social media now that at one point it was my whole entire life. I went through a massive cancel culture though. I went through a mental breakdown through it. I went through people thinking because I have, uh, you know, millions of followers. If you Google Eric B. Zink's net worth, it literally says on Google, on websites that my net worth is one to $5 million. And my primary source of income is TikTok. I'm going, are you fucking kidding? Like, I think I've made in three years or whatever, however long I've been on TikTok and like they've done the creator fund. I think I made like three grand, maybe. Like, (laughs) where does that even come from? How does that even happen? I don't know, but because everyone sees the Kardashians, everybody sees all this other stuff on social media and they think because you have a big following, you're going to have all this money. I'm like, who sponsors somebody that talks about suicide? What, like (laughs) Cutco Knives? You know, I mean, who's going to sponsor that? Nobody. That's is. how I feel about this podcast too. I'm like, I was like, it'd be great to make money doing this, but in the meantime, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who the fuck is going to sponsor death? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, who's Zoloft? Yeah, yeah, Zoloft, yeah. fucking Xanax, you know, <laughs> Pfizer. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Plug it <laughs> out. I'm sure they'll take all the money they can get. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, it's good to hear you're good. You know, I think, uh, like I said, for the, this will be the third time I'm saying. It. I think you're a breath of fresh air, and I'm hoping that your bluntness and your just saying it like it is is has some shock value to it, but real shock value in a sense that it shouldn't be shock value because I think people should speak like you more often, in my opinion. But the shock value of this guy's just saying it like it is might be a little wake up call to someone hearing it like that mm-hmm. for the first time. I don't know. No, and that's and that's where you go down that self censorship route of like how blunt and real can you really be even anymore? Because everywhere will censor you or edit you or take down your videos or ban you or. All this and it's just like, dude. The whole got the whole world's become eggshells, and it's uh, I don't know. I think that maybe there's a time and a place for that. Sometimes, which I might say, in all time, you got to be like, this is what it is. Sometimes you need to be a little lighthearted, but I think more than ever in topics like this, it what are we beating around the bush for? I mean, the topic itself is serious enough. Where it's like we don't have to be soft around a hard topic. Sometimes you don't, and people people appreciate realness because that's what they're truly feeling inside, and. Not everyone's going to agree with your opinion. And it's like, dude, it's okay not to agree with somebody's opinion. 
you know, I see a lot of these other mental health advocates or whatever you want to call them out there. And it's like, I don't agree with some of the stuff that you're saying, but it's not saying that it's not helping people. So if it's helping somebody, great. As long as you're not telling people literally to go hurt themselves, like good. You know, there's bad therapists out there. I've ran into bad therapists that I've hated, but they've helped somebody else out there. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad therapist in general. They just weren't a therapist that connected with me, that worked for me. And I need to find somebody that I connect with on a different level that's going to work for me. But I'm sure they've helped people out there. And so like why they're still a good therapist. Yeah, you said it yourself. Life's trial and error. So I think and even on the macro to microscope, it's all trial and error. And I don't think there's one answer to anything. And you got to figure that out. But I'm just hoping that people try to figure it out. I think that's a big difference of actually giving it a real chance and deciding to figure it out. Because I mean, that's a whole other woohoo thing. But if you do make a decision to do something, a true decision, like I think a lot of us, including myself, think we make decisions sometimes. But when we bail out, was it ever really a decision? I don't think it's a true decision until you stick through with it. So I'm hoping people stick through with the decision to try to figure it out. And you, like you said yourself, you, you've, you, you have other things to live for. I feel like you found a sense of meaning. And I think that's a big part of it. Like uh, there's that book by Viktor Frankl, that guy that survived the concentration camps. He, like, it was finding meaning. If you have some, a meaning for something, or maybe, that's, maybe that's part of the whole encompassing healing process is truly finding a meaning, something to live for, then, you know. Hopefully that'll keep someone around, but. And it does. I mean, and everyone's goals and passions are different, but how many people even have goals? Exactly. I mean, most people don't. I barely did till recently. <laughs> like I thought I did, but now I'm like really, I'm really honing in on focusing on that. But I never realized, it took me a while to realize the importance, as simple as it is. It took me a while to realize the importance of real goals and like putting them down. It's crazy that's not even taught in school, first of all. It's just such a basic one-on-one thing. I'm 32 years old. And I'm thinking like, now I'm thinking about it more than ever. It's like, what the fuck was I doing? But like it's such an easy lesson that really can make a, a, a life, something to something to see, something to go for, regardless how little it is. So I don't know, man. Um, exactly. I love what you're doing. I'm happy we we connected. And uh, I don't know if you have any last, uh, no pun intended, but last words regarding uh, regarding nope. regarding anything you're doing. If you want to plug in your uh, plug in your your info again, I'll obviously I'll link it up in the bottom. But you can give one more shout. Yeah, definitely, and, and make sure you send me out a link to your stuff too, because I'd love to. I'd love to shout it out because I love. I love the realness and the rawness. I appreciate that, man. I'm definitely gonna stay in touch. If there's anything, anything I could ever do for you, I appreciate it. But um, definitely, I'm gonna man. Hit stop. We'll talk in a second after this. But I want to say thank you, Eric, for being on here. Y'all can find him in the link below, and um, hopefully this gets through to one more person. It'll last one more day for real. So thank you guys for listening to another episode of Dead Talks, and thank you, Eric. Absolutely.